Can we just uh, celebrate that video real fast? How awesome is Jesus? Come on. Hey, if we haven't got the chance to meet yet, my name is Sean Curry. I'm the student pastor here, and I'm super excited to be continuing in our Jesus People series today. If you've joined us at all over the last few weeks or months, you know that we've been unpacking the values that we as a church, as Jesus people, are trying to live out. And here's why. We don't ever want church on Sunday mornings to be something that we just come and, uh, and attend on a Sunday once a week. But we want for this to be the fuel that fuels us to go out and participate in the mission that Jesus has given us uh, in our everyday lives, in every circumstance that maybe we will walk through. And what I love about this series is that we've posed three different questions at the beginning of every message to help you maybe self-reflect as we walk through the message to see where could I grow as a Jesus person? The three questions are this. Who are Jesus people? What would I want to be a Jesus person? And does being a Jesus person make any difference in my life? And the goal that I have, my prayer for us today, is that we would see that as Jesus people, he has given us an avenue towards praise. And that praise is a direct avenue to freedom. And I don't know about you, but I could always use a little bit more freedom in my life. And so as we, as we dive in, I'd love to pray for us, and we'll go, we'll go further. Jesus, I'm so grateful for you, and Lord, I'm grateful that you are a God of freedom, Lord, that you give us a spirit of freedom in your name. And so, Lord, I pray that as we walk through the Bible today, Lord, as we unlock different words for praise, we would see you glorified, and we would see your name as the highest name to lift up in our lives. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, who's excited college football is back? Come on, let's go. How many of you were like me and just spent hours in front of a TV yesterday watching college football? Cool. Uh, most of you probably should raise your hands because I know you, maybe you did. I, I spent a lot of time watching football yesterday. I watched uh, Georgia uh, defeat Oregon. And when I say defeat, that is light. Uh, it was a slaughter, 49-3. Uh, to 3. That's, that's, that's not good for everybody else in football. Uh, so I saw that. I saw Ohio State win. Um, I don't know if I'm happy about that or not. I just hate both teams. So I, it's like either way, I was going to be a little bit depressed today. Notre Dame, Ohio State, not a fan of either. Uh, I'm an Oklahoma fan, so uh, Boomer Sooner, um, you know, they played the mighty UTEP yesterday, which I didn't know was a school until yesterday. So I'm glad, I'm glad that we won that. But we love college football, don't we? We love the excitement of it and the roller coaster of emotions that comes with college football. And if you're a football fan, a sports fan at all, you know that in, in sports like college football, there, are, there is a roller coaster of emotions, right? There are moments where you are super excited and amped and pumped up, like when your, school, when your team scores a touchdown or when they have that big hit or they get that timely interception, like you're pumped up. But then there's the other moments, right? Where the moments where you're in anticipation like this because you feel like if you move from this spot somehow the world is going to like, enact some superstition that if you move, your team's going to start losing, right? And so you can't move, right? And, or maybe for you, like you have your hands, they start getting really, really sweaty and you're just constantly like this. Or you're the pacer, right, across the room. We all have these moments, this roller coaster of emotions. Or maybe you're a team of a, uh, you're a fan of a team that always loses, um, like Georgia Tech. I know Stephen... 
Talked about them last week, but like, let's be honest, they are the losing team of our state, okay? So Georgia Tech, uh, maybe you're just a Georgia Tech fan tonight, and, and going into the game against Clemson, you're like, you know, my only posture um, in this game is going to be eating wings, right? Like, there's a lot of postures in football. Um, if, you know, if you score a touchdown, you're like, yes, touchdown, or you're the pacer, or you're the ref, what was that call? Or, you know, you're, you're, the, you're, you're, the, you're the anticipating like this, or if you're the Georgia Tech fan, the only posture you know is just the, the wing. Right? This is the wing. But my favorite posture in all of football, in all of sports, in all of college football happened um, back in 2015. See, in 2015, Michigan uh, played Michigan State. And this is a very heated rivalry, if you don't know. And Michigan had all but won the game. There's 10 seconds left in the game. All they had to do to win the game was punt the ball away. Right? All they had to do, just punt the ball game over. So Michigan fans, they're already in the stands. They're celebrating. They're like, yes, we won. We're so pumped. And then something bad happened for them. Check it out. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap, and the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State's Jalen Watts Jackson, and he scores. Entering my favorite posture. Unbelievable. The Surrender Cobra, okay? If you don't know what the Surrender Cobra is, now you do. So next time your team blows a game and you're like this, you're like, Surrender Cobra. I remember that message, right? We all have different postures in life. And just like this Michigan fan that we just saw in that moment, what did this posture symbolize? Heartbreak, right? Pain, shock, disbelief. It was an outward expression of what was happening in that man's heart in that moment, right? And now he's a meme all across the internet. I love it. But just like football, we all have postures. In life, in following Jesus, we also have postures. And what these postures do is they, they, they outwardly express what our heart is trying to say, right? Our postures often expose what our heart is saying. And our, our goal as a church, as Jesus people, our goal this morning is to believe that the greatest posture, the greatest posture that we can, can be a part of is praising the name of Jesus. And here's why we believe that. We believe that because we believe that Jesus is the only one who leads to real life. We believe that Jesus is the only one who leads to true freedom. We believe that Jesus has conquered the grave. We believe that Jesus is a resurrected king who calls us by name to step into purpose with him. So as Jesus' people, we need to know what the Bible says, what God, how God created us to praise him. Because that is the point of life. That is the purpose of life. See, at Stone Creek, one of our core values is that passion is our posture. Passion is our posture. See, our posture is one of what? Passion. And why do we choose that word? Why is passion the word? Because we have unlocked, as Jesus people, the greatest secret the world has to offer. That purpose and life and peace and joy comes in one name, and that name is Jesus. And now as an invitation into life with him, we get to walk in a posture of passion. Our shoulders held high saying, hey, we know the God of the universe, and he's chosen us. 
I mean, this room right now, if you're watching online too, we're full of people who have come from all different kinds of church backgrounds, right? All different kinds of worship backgrounds. Maybe for you, this is your first time at church and this is your church background. You don't have one. Or maybe for you, you have an in-depth church background that looks very different. Maybe you've been going to church for so long, you feel like you were born in church, right? I don't know. But all of us have different stories and backgrounds when it comes to church. Like for some of us, we grew up in a more traditional church, right? So your posture of worship might be one with a hymnal where you just stand like this and there's an organ and weird people in robes, right? Like that's, that's your posture of worship. Or maybe for some of you, you grew up in a church that had even more of a rocky band than we have and yours is just like fist bump Jesus, right? Just mm. Jesus, right? That's, that's your posture of worship. Or maybe for you, like, there's a certain select few of you in the room today who grew up in a Pentecostal background, and, and your posture of worship has a lot to do with flags, right? If you know, you know. Or maybe uh, you have a combination of the three. But regardless of what our posture of worship is, we need to know that as Jesus people, our posture of, postures of worship needs to be postures of passion. See, we don't gather here on Sundays just to hear ourselves sing. If you need evidence of that, just come stand next to me, right? Uh, my voice is not awesome, but I love to sing. Why? Because it's not about my voice in those moments. It's about my praise to God. See, we serve a God who longs to hear our praise to him. We serve a God who longs to hear us praise him for who he is and what he's done and what he will do and who, what his name is. Is. And that's why passion is our posture, because we believe our hearts should ignite for what matters most. See, worship, it isn't just a Christian thing. It's a human thing. Right? We'll naturally begin to worship what our hearts are longing to run after. Where our treasure is stored is where our worship will follow. Now I get it. Some of you in this moment, you know we're talking about postures and about worship. And you've kind of done some mental math already, and you're sitting in your seats like, Really, Sean, you're about to tell me to raise my hands in worship. Listen, here's the deal. That's not me. Um, I'm not an expressive person. I'm more introverted, not extroverted. Like, you get it. We're all wired differently. God created us unique. Like, that's not my vibe. I love that it's yours. Cool, thanks. If that's you, my challenge, my encouragement for you, I just want to ask you, invite you to lean in with me just for a second. And as we open up the word of God, maybe, just maybe, we would together discover how we are crafted and individually created to praise the creator of the universe. And maybe, just maybe, each of us has an area of praise where we can step in a little bit deeper today. And maybe when we do that, we would experience a little bit more of the depth of our God. Sound good? So here's, so here's what I want to do. I want to dive into what the Bible has to say about the word praise. Now the Bible, all the Old Testament, is originally written in Hebrew, okay? And so obviously that is not English. And so there are some words in Hebrew that mean something different in English. And there's certain words in the Bible that have been translated into a word, but in Hebrew they actually have a lot of different meanings. For example, the word love, right? Love, there's, there's four different meanings for love in Scripture. And so, but in English it's just the word love. Like if I say I love tacos and then I say I love my wife, hopefully it is a different kind of love, right? Like I love tacos, but man, I love my wife a lot more than tacos. I'll be honest, right? But it's the same as with praise. There are actually seven different words for praise in the Bible. Hebrew words that when you read the English Bible, they all just say praise. And so what I think it's really important for us to do is, is as people, Jesus people, where we want for passion to be our posture, we have to learn how to praise the way that we were originally created to praise. And so in order to do that, we have to look back through those seven Hebrew words and understand the full capacity of what praise is 
for us as Jesus' people. So the first word I want to dive into, uh, is, it's called um, halal. Halal is to boast, to rave, to shine, to celebrate, and to be clamorously foolish. And we see this in Psalm 156. This is one of the instances where halal is the word for praise that's used. It says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Halal. And so halal is actually the word where hallelujah stems from. So maybe you've said hallelujah. We've all probably said hallelujah at some point. Like maybe if you're an Oregon fan, you said hallelujah when they finally kicked a field goal and didn't get shut out last night. We've all said hallelujah. Something good happens. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. This actually stems from something in us that longs to praise in this way. Man, it, it is a joy. It is a celebration. It is a fun way of praise that completely leaves behind our shame and what people around us think. It is halal praise. When I was thinking about this kind of praise, I, I thought about uh, what a little kid does with an Alexa in a kitchen, okay? Like, I don't have kids, but a lot of my friends have kids. And every time I'm over at their house and they're in the kitchen, what do they do? Alexa, play this song. Alexa, play this song. Alexa, play this song. It's like it's their new babysitter. I don't know what's going on, right? But they, they ask, Alexa, play this song. And what do they do in that moment? If you have kids, what do they do? They start dancing, right? Like, they just don't care. They just get after it. I have one um, friend who has, a, who has a daughter, and every time she goes, Alexa, play this. And then she'll just, mm. Just like, this is all she does, right? She's, she dances. Why? She, she has no shape. It's what her body is telling her to do. She's like, all right, this is how I, this is how I worship in this moment. And it's awesome. And I got to imagine, I got to imagine that God looks down at the church in America sometimes, and he's just like, hey, it's okay. Loosen up a little bit. Like, be a little less stiff. Put the coffee down and, like, allow your body to do what your soul is screaming that it needs. Allow your body to replicate what your heart is longing for. This is halal. The second word I want to dive into is zamar. And zamar is to make music, uh, to celebrate in song and music, to touch the strings or parts of a musical instrument. We see this in Psalm 144.9. It says, I will sing a new song to you, O God. On a harp of ten strings I will sing praises. This is the zamar praise to you. See, there's this, uh, there's this book called Holy Roar. I actually have a copy right here. And a guy named Pastor Darren Whitehead and then a worship uh, artist who maybe you've heard of named Chris Tomlin, they wrote this book together to walk through the seven different words of Hebrew. I highly recommend it. As you want to dive deeper into these words, I only have a certain amount of time today, so we can't dive into all the depths I want to. So I actually have ten copies of this back at the I Raise My Hand table. If you want one, pick it up on your way out. You can order it on Amazon. It's a great, great resource um, for the words of praise. And I love an excerpt that he uses uh, for this word zamar, speaking of worship. And as I read this excerpt, I want you to imagine, maybe you've had a hard week. We've all been there. And you walk in, and maybe it's today, and you sit in your seats, and, and, and you're like, ah, I'm not really feeling this church thing today, but I got myself here. And then worship begins. And what begins to change? This is what Pastor Darren Whitehead says. He says, consider that time you walked into church, frustrated with a friend, anxious about your finances, perhaps concerned about a new health challenge. Remember how you stood in the liminal space before worship music began and you made small talk as best you could. The things of eternity were far, uh, far from your mind. Recall how the chords began to fill the room, how the attention of the crowd was turned towards the praise of God. And in that moment, didn't the stuff of earth, the anxieties of life, seem to melt into the melody? As the cares rolled away, didn't you encounter the very presence of God. This is why we sing worship songs here at Stone Creek. It isn't because John has an awesome voice. He does. 
It isn't because he looks way cooler than any of us ever will. He does. But it's because something in us was created and directly wired to worship. Something in us, as music begins, all of a sudden our minds shift closer to the presence of God. Something in us was, was desires and longs to worship our creator. And so when you come in the room, like I'll maybe, just maybe, you can allow yourself to just put the anxieties of the world down for a second and go, okay, I'm going to read the lyrics on the screen, and I'm going to believe that that could be true for my life. Okay, I'm going to hear the scripture that John is reading, and I'm going to believe that maybe God wants to speak that over my heart. Okay, I'm going to hear the melody, and I'm just going to allow myself to be consumed by it and let everything else fade away. This is Zamar kind of praise. The third uh, word for praise is Tehillah, Tehillah. And Tehillah is a laudation, a hymn, a song of praise, a new song, a spontaneous song. Psalm 22.3 illustrates this form of praise. It says, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises, Tehillah, of Israel. So these are the songs that maybe don't rhyme. Maybe they don't have the best beat. Maybe don't, they don't have the words that go together perfectly to form a great, perfect stanza in a song. These are the words that maybe aren't perfectly on tempo. And these are the words that are the heart song that we sing. Like maybe you, you've come to church and you've heard worship leaders even today sing a song in between the lyrics that you see on the screen. You're like, where did that word come from? I miss that lyric. I miss that screen. No, what they're doing is they're singing a spontaneous song of what God has poured onto their heart to worship to him. And so uh, what do we do with that as non-worship leaders, as people who aren't on stage leading worship? Well, the same, right? Every single one of us, God places songs on our hearts to sing back to him. And sometimes they're not going to be the lyrics on the scene. They're not going to sound good. And they're not going to rhyme or be on tempo. But sometimes maybe if God hits you with a word or a thought about him in the middle of a worship set, sing it out to him. Right? Like if he says, hey, I I'm worthy, maybe you sing, God, you're worthy in the middle of it. If he says, hey, you are set apart because I died for you, hey, maybe sing that out loud to him. If he says, hey, remember my faithfulness, remember, maybe you sing out, God is faithful in that moment. And it's a spontaneous song that our hearts are trying to sing to remind our minds what to think. This is Tehillah. And the fourth word is Shabbat. Shabbat. It's to address a loud tone, to shout, to commend glory and triumph. Uh, Psalm 145, verse 4 says, this is one of my favorite verses of all of Scripture. It says, one generation shall praise Shabbat, your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. It should be a shout of praise to the next generation because of how faithful and good God has been in the one in the past. There's this woman who comes here named Jamie Vance. I love Jamie Vance. And Jamie, uh, she leads worship up here sometimes, but often she's sitting in the second row uh, right there. And I love Jamie because if you've ever been here in worship and you just hear a scream, that's her. And it's awesome, right? So what happens is she gets so consumed by what God is doing and so excited about what he's doing that she can't go, Woo! I love it, right? And I love it. And it pumps me up. And it reminds me that, man, this moment is special in the room right now. She has this holy roar for our king. And maybe that's not what you're supposed to do in this moment. But what I can tell you is that your words, your singing, as small as it is, as minute as it is, when you gather in a body of believers and yours matches with the person next to you in the row next to them in the section next to them, all of a sudden, as one body, we are lifting up a holy roar to the person of Jesus. And there's nothing more special than a holy roar for his name, to lift up a shout to him. 
Now the next word, uh, word number five is yada, yada. And it's to revere or worship with extended hands, to hold out the hands. Psalm 67 verse 3, we see this. It says, may the people's praise yada you. God, may all the people's praise yada you. Let me ask you, is there any more natural expression of excitement or wonder or awe than just lifting your hands in the air? Right? We all do it. We all have moments in our lives outside of church where this is our, this is our reaction to something really exciting. Um, yeah, if you don't know, about a month and a half ago, I got married, praise God. And uh, yeah, we can celebrate that. God is very faithful and good to deliver. And uh, actually, my wife and I this past weekend got all of our pictures back. And so this past week was really fun. Got to, you know, sit on the couch and spend some time looking back through all our pictures and reliving the day a little bit. And I noticed a constant theme in my life. There were, there were two postures uh, that I was constantly in. One is crying. Um, I'm not going to show you... Yeah, you, you say, oh, it was not, oh, it was pretty ugly. But I, one was crying. I'm not going to show you that because, you know, embarrassing. But the other one uh, was this. This is my other expression of worship. Just pumped up, right? Just excited. Why was that? Because in the moments when I'm like, holy crap, I'm married. This is awesome. Look how good she looks. I couldn't help but go, yes, <laughs> it happened, right? Let's go. I couldn't help it. And you've, we've all experienced these moments, right? We've all experienced them. Like maybe for you, it was yesterday when Georgia scored its 100th touchdown. You're like, yes, awesome. Maybe for you, it's when your kid's at a soccer game and it feels like it's been five hours and they're like scoring on their own goals. But then they all of a sudden score on the right goal, right? And you're like, yes, you did it. This is awesome. Or maybe for you, it's when your kids take their first steps, right? All of you, if your parents have been there where they're like, yes, come on, you did it, you did it. Now it says Jesus people, like this should be our posture. No, we should be this passionate. We should be this excited. We should be this pumped about what Jesus has done and how he is changing us. And so what if just all of us, we challenge ourselves once, at least once a service, even if it's just for a few seconds, you just go, yeah, you did it. Yeah, you are victorious, Jesus. Yes, you did. You defeated the grave. Yes, my life does look different because you did it. And it is worth getting excited. It is worth getting passionate about. And we say, you are the king of the universe. Yes, you defeated the grave. Yes, and I get to live in your presence now. Yes, yes, yes. And can you imagine if I just showed you a picture of my wedding and Allie looked as good as she did and that, that picture was the same, but I was just like, Yay. <laughs> Wouldn't go over well for me. Can you imagine, like, if your kid scored that goal and they look to you for approval and you're just like, cool. <laughs> or could you imagine if your kids took their first step and your wife's looking at you like, did you get it on video? Did you get it on video? And you're like, what? Every kid does this. Who cares? No, of course you wouldn't do that, right? That's ridiculous. But so often, like, this becomes our posture in church, and what does that look like for someone who doesn't know Jesus? I have a story of uh, um, our one of our pastor on staff, Ryan Rohan, tells that I love. I think perfectly illustrates this. Um, he talks about how this one time he had a friend um, who asked him to show this girl who just moved into town around and maybe help her get plugged into community. And so being in the Bible Belt and looking for community, where do you go? Church, right? And so he go, takes her to church, and he's like, this is natural, this is obvious. And they're walking in, and as they're walking in, she goes, ooh, what's this building? What do you do here? And at this moment, he realizes, ooh, 
She'd never been to church before. Different approach, right? Different approach than I was ready for. So they get their, they get their free coffee, her little gift. They come and they sit down in the seats. And, um, and he, he, she say, he says that the worship leader comes out and the music starts. And as we do here as well, they all stand up for worship. And she goes, why are we standing? And he's like, ooh, I don't know. This is just kind of what we do. And he, she goes, okay. So they, she stands up, and they start singing it. And obviously, it's different than any concert she's been to because the lyrics are on the screen. That would be helpful at concerts. Let's just acknowledge it. But the lyrics were, <laughs> lyrics were on the screen. And why do we do that? Because we sing lyrics. And she, she, she looks at Ryan, taps on the shoulder. She goes, hey, what, 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 why, what are we doing right now? And he's like, oh, this is my moment to lean in with the gospel? She goes, well, let me tell you what we're doing. We're worshiping the God of the universe. And his God was so good that he sent his only son to die on a cross for us so that through faith we could be saved. And, man, we are here as people of Jesus celebrating what he has done. Like, he, he defeated death. You don't get this, the significance. He defeated death. And now we have life through him. So that's what we're doing. We're worshiping that king. Goes, okay, cool, cool, cool. Gets back in her seat and... A few seconds later, she taps Ryan back on the shoulder. She's like, and why aren't people more excited? Church, I never want that to be something that's said about our church. I never want that to be something that's said about our people. And I hope, I long for the day where a non-believer walks through these doors and sits in a seat and looks around and just goes, Oh my gosh, what are they so pumped about? Like, oh my gosh, what is this party in here? I was at the Georgia game last night. That had nothing on what the, what's going on in this room right now. Like, what if, what if, as a church, we were, had such a posture of passion that non-believers ask questions about Jesus? See, church, this, this is the praise. These are the postures of praise that God's designed us for. But maybe you're in a season where you're like, hey, that's great. And in the good seasons, I'm able to do that pretty easily. But right now, you don't get it. Like, I'm walking through an extended season of hurt and of pain and of doubt and of confusion right now. And so to stand there and to lift my hands um, in worship to God, I don't feel near to him. I don't feel like he's near to me. And so these lyrics are really hard for, for me to sing. And so this doesn't feel natural. I'm lucky I, I'm even here. God knows this. God knows that we're going to have seasons like this and moments like this. And what I love about it is that he's actually crafted an entire word of praise for that moment, for those people. And this is the next word, the sixth word, it's todah. And todah means an extension of the hand, so same thing, but a different posture. Thanksgiving, a confession, a sacrifice of praise. Thanksgiving for the things not yet received, a choir of worshipers. In the book of Exodus, um, there is a guy named Moses. Y'all heard of Moses before? Well, Moses is actually tasked by God to lead the nation of Israel into a war against a people group named the Amaleks, okay? And the Amaleks, they're way stronger than the Israelites. They have way more people, and 10 times out of 10 on paper, they're losing that war. So obviously, I'll be honest, if I'm Moses, I'm like, ooh, wrong battle, God. Let me go somewhere else. That's not the one for us to fight. But what Moses does is something different. He, all the nation of Israel, they go down into this, I want you to picture this, this valley to fight this war against the Amaleks. And what does Moses do? He goes up on a hill, okay? So if you can picture this, he's up on a hill overlooking the battle where his people are, are surely on paper, paper about to be killed and lose the war. But Moses, he knows something. He knows something different. And in Exodus 17, he decides, I'm going to lift my hands and praise. And look what happens. Verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. 
And whenever his lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses, his hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands. So Aaron's on one side holding up his arm, Hur's on the other side holding up his arm. And his, stands were, his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua and the Israelites overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. They won the impossible battle. All it took was a moment of praise and expectancy that God would come through the way that he said he did. I want for us to maybe think of this word of praise, this posture of praise as something different. For us to think about it, that we're praising God with expectation that he will come through. See, some of us, we're in a season where we can praise God for what he's doing right now and how good he is and and how, how good he's been to deliver. But some of us, we still have the same posture with just a different heart of going, hey, I'm praising you. It's hard right now, but I'm praising you because I believe you're a God who will come through. See, Moses won the war that on paper he should have lost. And maybe in your life right now, you feel like, hey, Sean, on paper, I'm losing this battle 10 times out of 10. Hey, Sean, on paper, the world and culture would tell me that I have no shot at victory. Can I tell you that your God does? Your God does. And he is a God of power who wants to speak directly into your life. And so what if, what if this morning your posture could change from you worrying about it and stressing about it all the time to instead going, all right, God, you know what? You're the master of my life. I'm, I'm praising you. I'm believing that you are a God who will come through on your promises. Uh, notice that the last part of the definition of, of that word was a choir of worshipers. A choir of worshipers. See, it, it said all of those things to praise him in expectancy. But then the last part is a choir of worshipers. It's like, okay, where does that come from? Why is that so different than the rest of the definition? I think it's illustrated in Aaron and her in that story with Moses, right? uh, At some point, his hands got tired of praising. And so he he couldn't keep them up any longer. He had to drop them. So what did Aaron and her do? They stepped up as a choir of worshipers to lift both arms back again so that Israel would win the battle. Can I tell you that this is why we gather on Sundays at church? Because I know that sometimes that for you and me, there are seasons where it's like, man, I've been doing this for a while and I'm so worn down. I'm so tired and I don't feel like I can hold up my arms anymore. Well, lucky for you, we have a body of believers who can hold up your arms for you. Lucky for you, there are people who are in the seats next to you, the rows in front of you and behind you, who maybe today you could ask to step in and intercede on your behalf to worship alongside of you and in your situation and to pray the prayers that you feel like you've given up on praying in belief that God will come through. A choir of worshipers is what it takes sometimes to praise God the way our souls are designed to praise. And we see this in Psalm 56, uh, verse 11 and 12. It says, in God I put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me. He will come through, O oh God. So I will render praises, Toda, to you. The, second, the last word is one that, man, I can tell you personally has changed my life um, forever once I started praising God in this way. And it's Barak. Barak is the seventh word. It's, Barak means to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration, to praise, to salute, and to thank This word, it's used 289 times just in the book of Psalms. Um, There's only 150 Psalms, and there's 289 times. So it feels like as followers of Jesus, as Jesus people, we should pay attention to the word in this posture of praise. We see one of the examples in Psalm 72 in verses 11 and 15. Uh, It says, yeah, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. He shall live, and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Prayer also shall be made for him continually, and daily shall shall he be 
praise. This is the Barak kind of praise. See, Barak is a, it's a posture of humility and acknowledging that power comes from God, not from us. It's a posture of literally, like it says, kneeling, getting down on your knees like this and saying, God, you are the master of my life. I'm not. God, you are the master of my schedule. I'm not. God, you are the master of my family. I'm not. God, you are, you are the master of my relationships. I'm not. God, you are the master of that meeting I have later today. I'm not. And so I want to spend time in adoration of you in this posture of humility before your throne and say, hey, God, would you be the master of my day today? Would you be the master of my joy? Would you be the master of my peace? Would you be the master of my purpose? And would I, my life glorify you? I remember in a hard season of life, I decided, you know what, I, I was in one of those seasons where I feel like other people had to help me lift up my hands to praise God. And so I decided, man, I have nothing else to lose. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try this posture of praise. I'm just going to wake up every morning. I'm going to get out of my bed. And before I do anything else, I'm going to start on my knees in prayer and in worship. And so literally for a long season of my life, for three to four minutes a day, and not that long, I would turn on a worship song, I'd get on my knees, and then I, I would worship a little bit, and then I would just start praying through my day. Hey, God, I know that these thoughts have been intrusive in my life, so as the master of my life, I'm giving them to you today. Hey, God, I know I have this coffee meeting later today, and I don't know what we're going to talk about, but I'm giving that conversation to you. Would your spirit uh, come th work through me? Hey, God, I, I know I have this relationship. Would you just be the central point of that relationship today? I know I have car rides. Would you help me not waste that time, but like th let that time be productive and glorifying to you? And I, I just gave it back and say, hey, God, you were the master of my day, and I am under your authority. Because what other th authority would we want to live under? than the master of creation in Jesus. So church, what could it look like, very practically, if every day you start your, you start your day on your knees every day? Just for three to four minutes, nothing crazy, no crazy commitment, but play a worship song, start on your knees in your room, and just say, okay, God, I'm going to start walking through my day. I'm going to give you my day because you were the master of it anyways. So let me acknowledge it and turn my heart and my mind and my soul back to you. And you can invite your spouse into it, your kids into it. What could that change in your life? How much more free could it make you on a daily basis to go, God, I'm giving it to you because you're the master. Barak is to get on our knees. I promise you, it changes everything. But in November of last year, a massive event uh, happened in the city of Atlanta, um, and it was when the Braves um, beat the cheating scandal, no good Houston Astros. Sorry, Bryants, um, but they did, and uh, put them in their place. And I remember last November, um, they, they, they won the game, and they were playing actually not in Atlanta, but in the dirty city of Houston. They were playing this game, <laughs> and, uh, and I, but there were so many fans who were gathered at SunTrust Park to watch the game, and, and uh, the moment that the Braves broke the Atlanta curse and actually won something, this is what happened in the stadium. Do you see this? 
It's hands in the air. It's hugs. It's tears flowing. It is the fulfillment that Atlanta can actually win something. Like they were so excited that something happened that they never thought would actually happen. And they're rejoicing and they're celebrating. People are running on the field. People are filming it. They're like, this celebration's insane. And guys, that was a baseball game. I know, listen, I love sports, but it's a baseball game. And at the end of the day, 100 years from now, that game's not going to matter. It's not gonna, you're never going to think about it. The next generation after us won't recall the moment like that. But do you know what they can? I mean, the eternal purpose that comes in following Jesus. I mean, the church of Christ uniting together to glorify one name and for allow our passion to become our praise and our posture for our generation and the next generation and the next generation. And can I tell you that your praise, that person next to you who doesn't know Jesus, maybe, just maybe, your story and just the way you praise would interact with their story and it would be generational impact because of the way you praise. Not just a baseball game. What posture of praise do you need to lean into today? Like, ask yourself the question, what posture of praise do I need to meditate, lean into today? Because church, we serve one king. He has one name. And his name is Jesus. And he is worthy of all of our praise. And so maybe for you, you need to lift your hands in worship for the first time today. Maybe for you, you need to lift your hands in worship for the first time in expectancy for what he's going to do, even if you don't think he's done it yet. Maybe for you, you need to get on your knees in your rooms tomorrow morning and say, okay, God, I'm going to lower myself below your throne and give you back my day. Maybe for you, you need to lift out a shout to the Lord. Maybe you need to yell hallelujah for his name. I don't know what your posture is, but I promise you, that as a church, as one body, if we would lean in to the praise of Jesus, it would change everything. Your freedom would never look the same. Your purpose would never look the same. And your life would never look the same. Let's be Jesus' people. His passion is our posture. Let me pray for us.